Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Metal Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be chatting with Danny Reynolds. Danny Reynolds is a 2009 six-round draft pick by the Angels. We were former colleagues together working in a facility as he was a pitching coach. Outstanding dude. Hilarious. We're going to hear some good things from him. He is very good at the metal game as well. So enjoy this conversation with Danny Reynolds. Danny Reynolds, my man. What's up, dude? How are you? Hey, Chad. How's it going? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing awesome. I got I got to meet you, Danny. We were colleagues together for quite a few months over at a facility here in Las Vegas. We had a blast together. Um, I heard many stories about you from our your scout and my good buddy Jeff Scholzen, yeah. who scouted you at the Angels. So I, I usually go with my uh, athletes here and my people I interview. I, I love for them to share their story, you know, and we we add the mental game into it. Um, so I'd love for you to kind of start with, you know, kind of your background here in Vegas and leading up to where you were at when you got drafted. Right. Yeah. So uh, growing up in Las Vegas, you know, we have pretty great weather year round. So I played lots of sports growing up. Um, and then, you know, as I got into high school, right, because the goal is always, hey, man, I can't wait to play varsity high school, um, no matter what sport it is. So that was always my goal. So I love to do a bunch of sports. Um, I did uh, cross country, basketball and baseball. Uh, I loved basketball the most. Um, just unfortunately, I there was no future for me with basketball. <laughs> no, I say uh, uh, just because uh, as a you know, when I was a junior and I stopped playing my junior year, I was five foot nine, I think maybe 120 pounds. Um, the, the athletic director and some of the coaches, they were like, look, you're good, but we think you might do something a little bit more special in cross country or baseball. Um, so I, you know, I really invested a lot of time in those um, doing, you know, different baseball camps and running workshops and so on and so forth. Um, and then come senior year, uh, I was just fortunate enough that, as you had mentioned, Jeff Scholes and my scout, he just so happened to be watching somebody else on a baseball team from Gorman. You know, they're uh, nationally ranked. I think they lost in the four years that I was in high school. I think they lost five games, mm. um, you know, so for four years in a row, they were the number one team in the country. So they're going to get a little bit of exposure. <laughs> um, I was I was fortunate enough um, that I was invited to, to throw um, in front of some teams um, just some scout ball teams, nothing too serious. Um, and Jeff Scholzen was there, you know, and Jeff's an angel scout. You know, I was very fortunate enough that he saw something in a undersized and skinny kid at the time, right? I think when he saw me, I was five foot nine, maybe 140, um, you know, but he just told me, hey, you know, there's there's something special in there. I, I want you to keep working on this. You know, I see, I see a, a bright future for you. Um, and then senior year, uh, he invites me on to the Angel Scout team. Um, and then things just really blossomed from there. Um, just really being able to devote my time uh, into baseball and, and really refine some skills and, and focus more on my future, really, because ultimately Jeff saw something that I didn't know was there. Yes, it was great. Um, you know, Jeff. Uh, invited me on to the Angels Four Corner Scout team. And then from there, I was just able to to really get around high quality athletes, you know, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm new to this, you know, I didn't really think 
I was going to do anything spectacular with baseball. And there's all these kids who were 6'4 from Utah, 6'2 from Arizona, all these big guys throwing 90s. So I'm, I just started picking their brain and asking them, hey, how, you know, what's your thought process on this? And how'd you do that? You're, you're an incredible athlete. How are you doing this? Um, and then, you know, everything just blossomed from there. Come where, senior, where was your velo at? Because you're saying these guys are up around 90. Where were you at at this point? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't terribly slow, but I was probably 85 to 88. Um, in the fall, I think maybe I touched 89 or 90 once. Um, but yeah, just hearing from some of these bigger kids who threw hard, right? Because at the end of the day, what gets you seen? Velocity, right? So I knew, okay, I need to throw harder. So I started asking these guys, you know, what's your long toss program? What's your workout regimen? What are you eating? How are you doing X, Y, and Z? Um, and then just being able to be around these higher level athletes, helped me develop into the pitcher that I became my senior year where I was uh, every start was 92, 95, um, you know, and then, you know, kind of the ball started to get rolling from there. A lot of teams started showing up and uh, I was very thankful that I spent so much time with Jeff and the angels. He ultimately with the angels drafted me in the sixth round. Okay. So you, you're having a pretty good senior year enough, enough to get drafted. So, one of the things that intrigued me because I didn't know much about you, what was, you know, you tend to think sometimes when a player gets drafted, like, Oh, he's already physically mature. And and that's definitely the case, right. For a lot of right-handed pitchers coming out of high school. Um, so what, where, where were you at? Were you still around 150 pounds when this, when, when what was your size when you got drafted? Absolutely. Um, have it written on my board. I was uh, five foot 11, 158 pounds. So, you know, and for me, I held on to that personally, just because a lot of team, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm beyond thankful that Jeff believed in me. Um, but there were a lot of um, pro teams, um, and even college, junior college. Oh, you're a little bit undersized. If you'd like, you could be a walk on. Um, you know, so I'm, you know, a little bit of doubt there. And then I, you know, I hook up with Jeff, uh, a professional scout who says, Hey man, I like your build. Keep working on it. We, we you know, I want you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's obviously if you were thrown at that velocity, 90 to 95 come your senior year, you obviously have a quick arm. I remember in, when I was a scout, they would always talk about the smaller type frame what what can they handle? What's the workload that they can handle? You know, if a small, you know, we, we've talked a lot about like your comp to Tim Linscombe, right? right? And kind of how you modeled yourself a little bit after him, um, even kind of look like him a little bit. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Senior uh, year, I grew my hair out. I wanted to be just like, you know, who didn't want to be like Tim Linscombe? Yeah, so, the, so the five foot 10 guy. Some of the younger guys that might listen to this might not know about him. Tell us about him a little bit and why you followed him right yes yeah, so um my dad's side of the family they're all big huge sports fans they come from san francisco so just growing up i grew up a big giants fan and a 49ers fan um in 2009 was my senior year and the giants had selected uh, tim lincecum one of the the best college pitchers had a, a little bit of an unorthodox um delivery but I saw similarities in the fact that, hey, you know, I try to throw hard. This guy throws really hard. Um, we're both similar in size. So I kind of modeled all my mechanics after him. And it just so happened that he was also with my favorite team. 
Uh, you know, young guy throwing or a small guy throwing 95 to 100. Uh, I think he won like two or three Cy Young Awards, got three World Series. So I saw that and I thought, crap, that's kind of the career I'd like to have. So I try to model all my stuff after him. Did you because he had that kind of unorthodox delivery, right? Very like kind of use full body, very long stride. Did you ever get into trying to be like him in regards to the mechanics of things? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So I kind of had that little bit of a coil that he had. Um, for me, everything I, I learned in the amateur level was just off of watching. Um, 2001 was my very first year in Little League. Dodgers get Hideo Nomo. It was the biggest sign like in, in, in the history of baseball at the time. He did that little turn. I wanted to try and mimic that and do that turn. Um, Lincecum had a variation of that. So at the time, my senior year, he's the top dog. I want to be exactly like him. I have that turn already. Um, so I, I kind of tinkered trying to just be like him as best as I could. That's awesome. I you, you mentioned Hideo Nomo. So I when I played with the Dodgers, just for a felt like a snapshot. Um, I remember a quick story with Nomo. He was I think he had already pitched that day. It was like a day day game. We got on the plane and, you know, he, he's he's Japanese right see from japan yeah um he (laughs) but he was always with an interpreter right i happened to be sitting right in front of them and i could hear them kind of talking behind me and he had finished his game like he's he already pitched right he's like i'm getting wicked hammered today yeah (laughs) it just got plowed right in, in the and just it was kind of loud like kind of one of those guys he might be a loud drunk in a way so he, he got pretty loud and it was pretty funny. I was like, oh, it's a little different. It's kind of cool. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't cool. expect that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you, you kind of model yourself after Lincecum. Um, so you get drafted. Now tell us a little bit about, because you're an undersized righty, just throwing gas. What was your college experience like in your recruiting experience? So that was um, very cool. That was uh probably one of the most exciting times for me. And again, I mean, it all kind of really goes back to Jeff. Jeff put me in position uh, to succeed, right? And I saw, like I said, these bigger guys throwing harder. They're also getting more recruiting from colleges. So I was picking their brain. Hey, how do you handle these questions? Hey, how do you talk to this person? And what should you say? And and X, Y, and Z. And just going through the recruiting process, because I was not expecting any of this to happen to me. Um, so the recruiting process was, uh, I mean, it was, it was an exciting time. I, I didn't anticipate it. And luckily enough from the Angels Four Corners scout team, I had a bunch of other ball players kind of helping me out and guiding me along the way. Who were some of those guys, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it was um, Littlewood's, uh, Littlewood's son. Um, you know, he was a huge, huge prospect. I think he went like first or second round. Yeah. Um, so okay. he was getting a lot of interest. So, you know, he helped me kind of how to navigate, you know, just conversations with these guys. Um, another one was a local kid, Jeff Malm. You know, he I think he owns maybe every hitting record in high school, you know, and he, he's, you know, first, second round guy owns all these records, you know, so he's getting a lot of college interest in recruiting. Um, so I leaned heavily on these guys, just, you know, asking them, hey, you know, what what would you say in this situation? And, you know, and, and how, how do you handle these conversations? 
So it was, it was very, uh, you know, it was very cool kind of got the binder of all these colleges that are sending you letters and stuff and, and just learning how to, how to respond to them. That, that's a huge thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And you had a, now who did you end up committing to? And I remember you saying um, you had conversations with Dixie quite a bit at that time. Is that right? Yeah, I went to, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Littlewood. It's, you know, it's weird how the baseball world works. Uh, I relied heavily on Littlewood because he was a huge um, prospect, lots of college interests, lots of professional interests that wound up signing first or second round. Um, but his dad was also the head coach at Dixie State. Um, he actually, he drove down to Las Vegas, uh, I believe junior and senior year to watch me. Um and that just blew me away. Just the dedication to go to another state. Sure, it's not that far to travel, um, but, but just to show that, hey, I, I'm actually truly interested in you and, and I want to watch you. Yeah, but it was pretty cool because, um, like I said, I relied heavily on, on, on the son, Littlewood. And it just so happened his dad was Dixie State head coach. He had visited me to, to just to chit chat, see how I am as a person came to watch me as a game at the games, see how I was as a ball player. Um, and then just that dedication to his athletes made me commit to him. He watched me twice and, you know, he told me, he shook his, he stuck his hand out and said, I'd like to offer you a scholarship, you know, if you'd be willing to come here. And at the time, no, no, nobody was really offering me scholarships because I was a undersized guy in their eyes. And he on the spot said, Hey man, I get, I'll give you a hundred percent scholarship. Yeah. That's yeah, and that was, yeah, that was for, you know, for me, it's the loyalty and being there and showing face um, literally up until maybe a month before the draft. I had zero uh, college offers except for Dixie. So that that's so what's, yeah, that's what's intriguing to me when you were telling me your story is here's a guy that obviously has talent, like is, is pretty good. It's having a really good senior year. Colleges are sending you info but you're not committed anywhere and yet you get drafted from a professional standpoint, right? What, what do you, do you think it was mainly just your size that was maybe scaring colleges away? And you obviously had one guy that believed in you at least on the major league side, but that's what, that's what they were telling you mainly. We need, you need more time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh, I had a few um, colleges locally and kind of nearby in the West um, hey, you're pretty good, but right now you're just undersized. Would you like to be a walk-on or a red shirt? Um, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is kind of nuts. I'm, you know, I'm talking to a professional scout right now saying, hey, we love you. We're going to take you. Mm -hmm. And um, and these colleges, I, I couldn't I couldn't get a scholarship out of anybody. You know, mm -hmm. I had a 3.6 GPA. Um, I th thought I was throwing well enough. Um, but yeah, no, you know, and this is what I tell kids all the time is, look, things, let the chips fall where they may, you know, mm -hmm. don't rush the process. Yep. It's too many times kids get beat up over, hey, I didn't get a D1 scholarship or, hey, I didn't go to the dream school. You can still do what you want to do. You know, don't let things like that discourage you and beat you up mentally. On that process, what was your improvement from, say, your junior year? Because I'm assuming you were even smaller. Your junior year probably weighed less. What What was the transition and how much improvement did you have from junior year into senior year by the time you graduated? 
Yeah, I would say poof, senior year is when everything kind of got real serious for me. Um, we were doing block scheduling at the time at school. So you have like four classes one day, four classes the next day. Um, as a senior, I had a few open classes. So what I did was on every single day of school, I took a weight training class. So every day I'm at school, I have an open period you know, somewhere, um, but I always had a weight training class. So senior year, I think I gained 15, 20 pounds, um, which isn't tough when, you know, when you're just meeting bones. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think just taking the training more seriously, I was always pretty athletic, but there was no strength there. So being at the school, being on campus and being forced to be in, in a weight training class every day uh, helped me just with leaps and bounds getting better. Yeah. And, and you played a position when you weren't pitching, right, at Durango? Yes. Yeah. I was uh, usually outfield because I was fortunate enough that at my high school we had some studs. Um we had a couple of shortstops get drafted pretty high. Um, Tommy Pham is still in the major leagues right now. Um, so I knew shortstop was, I was never going to play there. I was fast. Like I had mentioned, I loved to run. So I, I stuck to the outfield. Yeah. You love to run. You, you, you love to run so much. You did cross country, right? Yes. You, yes. It was a bizarre that. thing. You don't hear that too often mixed in with baseball, right? Right. No, it's a very bizarre thing. What drew you to cross country? I just like running. I don't know. Just, I like going fast. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I love doing sprints. I love running long distance. Um, Cause for me, the long distance is more of a mental challenge because mm -hmm. obviously there's always going to be that wall that they always talk about. And, and, and how do you get through it? Right. You're either going to stop moving your legs and say, Hey, I'm tired. I, I can't run anymore. Or it's, you got to push through it a little bit. So sprinting was always my favorite thing to do. Um, but cross country was a fun challenge for me. Yeah. So I, I know at work, you were, you were running around all the time. Like this guy loves to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I lo yeah. I love um, so, so, you know, you get drafted right now you go in the sixth round. Is that correct? Yes. Sixth round. Uh, to me, this, again, that's fascinating where a guy he's getting talked to from colleges, but doesn't really have a, a big scholarship. Right. It's not to like a ASU or an Arizona. We're going to Dixie. And Dixie at the time was still a junior college, correct? They had um, – so they had just transferred over to Division Two, I believe, the year prior. So they're D2. Okay, so they're like on yeah. their probation-type years, right? Yeah, they had just entered D2. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that just started. So it's a four-year school now. And, and yeah, you go in the sixth round, right? And Jeff Scholzen believed in you enough and um, probably had to do some selling, right? To the Angels staff of like, hey, I got this 5'11", a buck 50, 60 wet, right? <laughs> Kid that, right yeah. I, I have to imagine knowing Jeff, like this guy's the next Tim Lincecum, right? right? Yeah. So you get drafted, right? Did you, did you know for sure that was going to happen? Like how soon... Were the Angels the only team that was really on you at that point? Um, so, and this is and this is what is so bizarre. Every, you know, my senior year, every start, I had every team but the Marlins, every major league team but the Marlins. Um, you know, and I'm signing out all these player interest waivers and forms and all sorts of stuff and the questionnaires. 
Um, so every team was on me. So I had a good idea I was going to get drafted. Um, and it was just so strange that I just, I, I couldn't even beg for a division one scholarship. It was just so bizarre, but no, I, I did have a pretty good idea. Um, and then just talking with a few other scouts. Cause uh, I did a few, you know, sometimes the, the scouts will come to your house afterwards, you know, either before a game or after a game and just kind of really sit down and, and see where you're at and where they're at, see if they could get on the same page. Yeah. So I, I you know, so I, I had a pretty good idea that I was going to get drafted. Um, it was just kind of determining whether or not they were going to pay for college and, you know, through the help of some of the other scouts, Jeff, um, who is the other guy? Bump Merriweather for the Twins, uh, or maybe the Pirates. Um, you know, there's a few other scouts that kind of helped me and just navigated me along the way and told them, like, hey, there's they'll also pay for this as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a pretty good idea that I was going to get drafted. It was just a matter of uh, which rounds. Okay. So you, you I was hoping round one. You're right. That would have been like like. There's a lot of people that missed here, right? Yeah, I, was, I was hoping 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Like, man, yeah. where's this kid from? Durango. Where's he going to school, Dixie? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's – so that that's kind of all – that all happens. You have an interesting experience. Now you're in pro ball. What was it like for you getting into pro ball? Man, that was interesting because um, the, the first thing was you see a lot of Latins just running around the locker room. <laughs> so that was you know very loud very very loud I'm, I'm a loud guy I like to just be bouncing around um but kind of that upbringing um just from you know the club ball and, and high school and hey you know you can't show emotion you got to sit down be quiet on the bus be quiet in the dugout and all sorts of stuff um so seeing all that different type of excitement that was pretty fun um and then just seeing how good these guys are, right? Everyone thinks, oh, I got drafted. I'm the best. You're, you're not even the best in your round. Yeah, but no, it was pretty fun just, you know, seeing how great all these athletes are. Because you always think, oh, I'm getting drafted. I, I'm good at, at my high school or I'm good at my college or maybe I'm amazing and I'm, and I'm one of the best in my state. Right. But once you get into pro ball, you don't realize how many other guys were the best at their school, city or state. You know, and it's uh, it was very eye opening for me. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of the you know, obviously this is we talk a lot about the mental game right here on this show. What were some of the things that started to work for you in regards to the mental game and what what was the hurdles that you went through? Yeah, so I think some hurdles just uh, on the mental side initially are, 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 are learning to be even keel, right? A lot of guys will probably come in, you know, you should always have a lot of confidence, um, but sometimes some guys are, are too confident. Oh, no that, way. Yeah, so I, I think just learning how to be even keel. You know, a lot of guys will, will be too confident, and, and once they face adversity, they, they kind of, that confidence gets shattered, and it's tough to repair that. Um, conversely, also there's the issues of not believing you should be there, right? Uh, I don't know if they should have taken the risk on me. I don't know if I can compete at this level. Man, this is going to be tough. I don't know if I can make it to the major leagues. Um, there's there's a lot of mental hurdles. And, and for me, I just try to, you know, just compete day 
uh, one day at a time. Uh, I was very fortunate that my high school pitching coach had played professionally. Um, so he would always just tell us when the pitch, you can only throw one pitch at a time. So just win that pitch. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I took that personally, you know, for me, uh, my whole thing would either be one more or the next one. Right. So on, on the mound, it was, I'm going to, you know, after I throw the pitch, I can't worry about it. I, I, I now move on to the next pitch. I can't let the pitch I threw two innings ago ruin the rest of my outing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and same thing with any aspect of life, whether it's, oh man, we got to work out again. Okay, well, let me finish this one rep. Let's get to the next rep. Um, so for me, it was just, you know, it sounds so cliche, but you really have to break things down just real short term, right? For me, it was, all right, one more, you know, let, let's do one more workout or let's finish this next pitch, however it was, and not try to look too far down the road. Okay. So you're, you're constantly trying to stay in the present moment, right? To keep your, to keep your mind set and focused on that one thing you need to do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, oftentimes, you know, and it happened to me and I'm sure it happens to everybody, right? You have one good outing and you think, well, dude, I can coast for the rest of the season. I'm the best. Mm -hmm. I just went eight inning shuddy. No one could tell me what to do, you know? And then it's, oh, let me see what the schedule is going to look like in August or, you know, September. Hopefully we're in the playoffs or, or October instead of, hey, man, it's the third start of the season. Let's try to have a great fourth start of the season. Yeah. On that note, I was just thinking a thought came to me with, so you're what, 18, 19 when you get drafted? Yeah. 18. And how, how many years? Just did turned you, 18. How many years did you play? Pro ball. Uh, I played till 2019, so I guess 10 years. So 10 years, so eight, about 18 to 28 to 29 years old, roughly, right? What was the difference when you became like your last few years that you played? What was maybe some of the main parts of your growth mentally that you could share with us? Yeah, was um, I realized I need help, right? Uh, and I think we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, was just, I didn't really believe in all these other sorts of coaching, right? Um, and in the last couple of years of my career, I realized, well, my, my velocity is going a, a little bit down. My accuracy is going a little bit down. You know, things are starting to bother me. Let me go see some coaching. Um, so I was fortunate enough that I had, um, I, saw my, <laughs> I saw my first pitching coach my seventh or eighth year of pro ball after I got released a couple times, I'm 25, 26, whatever it is. Um, but he just kind of showed me what mechanics are and how the body moves. Also talked to us a little bit about breathing patterns, how to just relax on the mound. Um, so it wasn't until later on in, in my career and, you know, too little, too late. I don't believe so. Cause now I've learned the things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was going out, investing in the money in a coach, which is ultimately investing in myself, learning how to attack the mental side, learning how to break down my own mechanics and see where I have deficiencies at. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's, that's very in line with at least my personal experience with learning as a hitter, like what right. I can and can't do. A coach tells you this, you try it, that doesn't work. A coach tells you that. So you, you kind of learn how to filter out what may or may not work for you 
Um, right. You're the one that's on the mound. You know, you're the one that's trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, that I found that intriguing when you told me um, that you had played pro ball for quite a few years and you felt like, man, I don't feel like no anyone's really helped me improve as a picture as a pitcher. Right. Yeah. And I think was it when you got to Houston that you said like, man, it was completely different over there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, my first couple of years of pro ball, it was just, Hey, you, th you throw hard and you're throwing harder every year. Let's, let's just throw harder. Right. No one really tells you what that means or, or how to go about it. Um, so I never was really given any direct instruction on, on how to kind of improve. And then, um, later on in my career, I ended up going to Houston where they had Brett Strong, who's their major league pitching coach. Uh, I go over there to major league spring training. They're talking about mechanics. Blew me away. I told him, I said, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what we're talking about. Can I just leave? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this makes no sense to me. Um, you know, it is, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, the things he's talking about and uh, Brad Strom, I think he's probably in his late 60s, maybe an older gentleman. And, and he's breaking down all sorts of mechanical issues and and strengths and weaknesses. And I mean, you look at him and you're like, I don't know if this is the how does this guy know everything? Mm -hmm. um, and it was incredible because with Houston, they they've had some great, great, great pitchers in the past. And. I only spent the spring training with them, but I guess they're a very tight knit organization. And in Florida, I mean, you got Roger Clemens coming out, watching bullpens, telling people, Hey, try this, try that. Uh, I mean, you got the express himself, mm -hmm. Nolan Ryan coming out <laughs> and these guys are talking mechanics. And these are some of the biggest human beings that have like maybe ever stepped foot on a mound. I mean, it was, uh, it was incredible, you know, um, just picking the brains. I mean, I don't even know if it's picking the brains of them, but you know, because they just have so much knowledge. Um, but when when those guys are talking to you, you know, Roger Clemens is saying, "Hey, try this," and Nolan Ryan is offering advice. You're just like, "Holy crap!" These guys know about mechanics, and they're massive, and they know how to work out, and they've played healthy for 15, 20 years, and they're you know. Cy Young and All-Stars and this and that, you, you really take notice, mm -hmm. right? So hearing hearing their philosophy on mechanics in conjunction with weight training, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. So it was just so cool just hearing from Brett Strom, who's like a dinosaur, and he's breaking down all new wave mechanics and all types of ways to move your hips and your body. And then you got Roger Clemens, Nolan Ryan, these guys breaking down mechanics and strength training. It was it was one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, that's awesome. So in your 10 years of pro ball, you continue to develop and you got a velocity wise that you hit triple digits, right? You hit 100. Yeah, I got uh, yeah, I'd gotten up to uh, triple digits. Uh, apparently, according to uh, according to Michael Roth, uh, who was charting that game, I hit 101. The only reason why I know that. Um, is because there was a $20 bill on my chair. Ah. <laughs> and so I asked, yeah, I asked him, I said, Hey, what's, what's the 24? I said, do, do you guys just give out twenties when someone strikes somebody out? 
And, uh, you know, cause I, I just got into double a, I was super amped up, just got promoted to double a. And he told me, he said, no, man, you were warming up at 98, 99. So I told the other kid I was charting with, he's going to hit a hundred. Mm. And the kid said, all right, hundred bucks on it. And I, apparently I hit a hundred and a hundred and one. And, uh, so he said, Hey man, thanks for winning me some money. Here's 20. There you go. That's like a steak dinner, right? <laughs> yeah yeah so you so you're you're doing well now what role um you are mainly a reliever is that correct yeah now explain to our audience what why were you a reliever over being a starting pitcher like what does that mean right so uh i was a starter for a little bit just at the amateur level everything is velocity 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 um like i told you i didn't i didn't blossom into throwing hard early so as a young kid, I had a really good curveball. Um, I never really cared too much about a changeup because I had this cool, beautiful, sweeping curveball. That's all I threw. Um, and then I grew into some velocity. So I had a fastball and curveball. Yeah, so um, a, as, a, as a starting pitcher at the professional levels, I didn't have a changeup. Um, so the hitters would easily be able to distinguish a fastball and a curveball um, just by the way they move. So just because of not having anything that I, that I could throw off of my fastball, like a change up or, or a slider, uh, I moved to the pen and then I became kind of a, uh, a jack of all trades can go because of my history as a starting pitcher. I could be long relief uh, because I had two decent pitches. Sometimes I would be, you know, closer sometimes. So um, yeah, I just didn't have that change up that would get me around the second or third time of the order. Okay. So you, you're mainly a two to maybe a three pitch guy. And you told me a few times that I was the kind of guy that would just go in and I'm, I'm giving you all I have right for that. Cause you're probably gonna be an inning, maybe two um, where there plenty of opportunities for you that you threw like two, three, four days in a row. Yeah. Towards the end of my career, um, when I really started to learn about mechanics, um, that's where I, I started to really thrive. Um, I, I would be able to bounce back better. Um, I knew how to self-correct some of my own problems on the mound. Um, and also being an older athlete, I, I had that comfortability with the coaching staffs where I could say, hey, if you throw me one inning, I'm good to go five days in a row. Mm. Um, so towards the end of my career, that was kind of my role was, uh, hey, if you're going to go one inning, throw me every day. Okay. What were some of the mechanical things that you learned from a, being a younger pitcher to growing into an older pitcher, knowing kind of what you're doing? What were some of the biggest jumps for you? For me, it was uh, direction, cleaning up my direction to the plate. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, I, I had a lot of influence from Hideo Nomo and Tim Lincecum, and those guys, they're, they're, they're major league pitchers, right? So they're, they're the cream of the crop, and they know exactly what they're doing. I tried to copy them and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I got my hips going one way. I got my head leaning one way. Um, so my body was always going in all sorts of different directions. <clears throat> it wasn't until I found my pitching coach where he goes, look, man, you, you got some good things working for you. You know, it's unfortunate that, that your lower half's facing one way and your upper half's facing another. Um, so I did a lot of just training on, on, on going straight. And that was uh, as crazy as it sounds. That was that was a huge fix for me. So I threw I, I threw a lot of uh, crossfire, they would say, where I have my legs kind of going one way and I have to really 
torque my upper half. Yeah, I remember you you were talking one day about, you know, whether you're stepping across the line or on the left side along as a right-handed pitcher, where just by being a little bit off on either side, the degree of missing, right, the spot that you're trying to hit, how that can be very telling and allows you to, to struggle a little bit with the consistency of that. Yeah, so as, as a young amateur athlete who had never taken any pitching classes, never heard of any pitching lessons or anything like that, um, my direction was way offline because um, my thought process at, at, as an amateur knowing nothing was, hey, if I step over towards the third base dugout, the hitter is going to be scared of me. <laughs> um, you know, and sure, at the amateur level, that might work, um, but doing it, you know, pitch after pitch week after week, year after year, um, it's going to catch up with your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah the guys I've seen that, like, I, I think of like a Jake Arietta, right? That I think he just retired, if I'm not mistaken, but big dude, big legs, has some, you know, quite big, some flexibility. It does Pilates, right, to keep him loose. Right, yeah. There's only like Jared Weaver is another one that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, Jeff, I think more Jeff Weaver. No, Jared with the Angels. Apologize. Yeah. Um, that are able to repeat that mechanic where it's really cross body, cross fire. Um, so I, I'm curious too. So being an outsider looking at your career, you played 10 years, you played a lot in AAA. How many opportunities or are you aware of that you were like that close to getting to the big leagues? <clears throat> um, I'm not really sure. I, I you know. For me, I, I I tried not to worry about it too much. Um, I just always try to put myself in a in a position to to receive that phone call. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there was one time where I, where I thought I, I had gotten you know gotten the the phone call that everyone dreams about. I just finished a pretty good spring training with the Astros. Um, the first two nights, uh, I think they went through maybe ten arms, so they were a little bit depleted. And I get that it's I'm in doubling Corpus Christi and our season starts uh, on game three of the major league season. So I'm driving to the stadium. I get a call from uh, Lunau, Jeff Lunau, um, who um, was the GM, I believe at the time, maybe still is. Um, he calls me and he goes, hey, Danny, I'm not sure if you've uh, if you've been following our big league team, uh, but we've ran through some arms. I'm thinking I'm getting the call of a lifetime. So I said, oh, man, Jeff, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, what's your next move? And I'm hoping he's going to say, hey, you know, congratulations. You know, and he goes, well, you know, Danny, you know, we need arms. We need arms bad. So what we're going to do, Danny, is we're going to DFA you and we're going to call up a kid from AAA. <laughs> so so it went from it went from hopefully one of the best phone calls of all time to hey man we actually gotta get rid of you and we're gonna call up another kid <laughs> so it was uh it was a pretty funny phone call that's, it a, was a, that's a strange way to to go about yeah. that right why, yeah, like, it was a, why it was a pretty funny phone call and that's why i tell guys don't like worry or stress about trying to get it too much right obviously we all know that's our goal the end goal is we want to get that phone call hey you're gonna make it um, but when you put so much priority on it, you then create a lot of undue stress on yourself. Yeah, no doubt. And I, 
I would have to imagine because I think, you know, there's the pitching side of the game and there's the fielding position player side of the game. And no doubt, like when you're in AAA, you're, you're paying attention, right? Especially if you're doing well, right. You know, I'd have to imagine. You're right. Yes. But also that can, it could be to the point where you're paying too much attention and you're, you're losing focus of what you're trying to do, which is improve, do the things you need to do in the game each and every day, continue your process, right. Of, of getting better and keeping your focus where it needs to be and control what you can, can control. Right. And so, so your 10 years goes, right. You've, <clears throat> you've experienced your whole professional career and you, you are actually one of the guys that, like you mentioned, when you got drafted, you're like, I need to make sure that I get my education paid for because I want to utilize that. And I, I don't know what the number is, but I think it's a pretty small number of, minor league professional players that actually use that education money that's given to them. Right. Cause if I'm not mistaken, you have two years till the time you declare that you've retired or your last year you played and that money depletes, like it's gone. Right. And so that's what you're doing now. You're going to school. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm at the UNLV and uh, <clears throat> um, in the business program. So that's where I'm at currently. Very cool. And while you're doing that, um, where we had met, um, you be we became friends in regards to working at a facility together. And you do you're a pitching coach, so you teach kids right. um, here in the Las Vegas area. Just outstanding uh, guy to learn from and go to. You know, highly recommended if you're in the Vegas area. What are what are some of the things that you see that's pretty consistent that comes up with these young kids in in teaching them on the mound? As crazy as this sounds, um, just keeping your head straight. Um, oftentimes, kids are right now. Everyone knows velocity will get you seen. No, no one's coming to watch you because you threw ten out of ten pitches. Because if you did, you're probably getting shelled, right? <laughs> so, people are are velocity is the thing, right? We have guys, um, Shohei Otani, he's throwing 101 mile an hour sinkers. We have guys throwing 103 mile an hour cutters. Um, I mean, it's what's happening. I don't think baseball's ever seen anything like it. And I don't think baseball anticipated seeing pitching like how it is now. Um, I don't know. Of, I don't know of one starting pitcher. Maybe, maybe Granky. I don't know if he's still active. He might retire. Um, but I don't. Besides Granky, I don't know of one starting pitcher who throws under 90. Um, so everyone knows that. Hey. It's a numbers game. Throw hard. Um, but oftentimes kids will yank their head off. You know, they'll start to throw and they'll try to throw so hard that their head kind of yanks a little bit to the left. By doing that, now your eyes are sideways, right? So now we're trying to throw to a target with our head sideways. And that's a little difficult. You know, obviously you'd like to have your eyes straight, you, you know, your head squared, your eyes straight and level. Um, but what I've noticed a lot is just direction. Right. Kids are getting off to the side and they're having to tilt their head to try to get straighter, to throw more velocity. When if you just stay straight, your head's going to stay a little bit more level um, and the arm's going to um, work more efficiently. Yeah, because if you're you're tilting your head, if it's here, <clears throat> you got your arm slot, you're there, your arm slot's going to probably go with you. Right. right. And now the hitter has more time to see the ball. Right. Because there, there may be things we'll throw over the top because you, you, you and coach Dave, 
um, some of the things that I was just paying attention to and, and listening while you guys were coaching. Um, what What is the thing with, you know, throwing over the top, right? We have some cues that people talk about. Um, what would you say are the throwing over the top versus we talked, you talked about more getting the hand away from your head. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. Yeah. So I, I try to tell these kids don't think, well, first we explain what over the top means. Um, cause I, you know, before I, I work with any kid, I'll usually ask them, Hey, you know, what do you know about throwing over the top? And they immediately reach their head or their, their hand as high as they can over their head, right? And just like any other human, right? We've all been in a classroom. When we raise our hand, what do we do? We tilt our head, right? Because it's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable feeling on your trap, very uncomfortable, right? So I tell these kids, imagine doing that with a baseball as hard as you humanly can that doesn't make much sense. Um, so telling these kids throw over the top, uh, I really explain to them that what I mean is your fingers are over the top of the baseball. Um, and then you kind of have to explain them the, the function of the elbow. And, you know, once we kind of get into this position, right, the hand doesn't go up, right? The elbow extends outward. Um, so it's just, you know, having to kind of, I want kids to, to use their arms as levers, right? We have elbows, these things bend and extend. Um, so it's teaching them and showing them how to utilize their levers as a fish. So, yeah, so you're, yeah. you're teaching them and that, cause that's one of the things that you, you talked about, like, um, the, the, over the top, if you think about a clock, right. If you're a right hander, 12 is up here. 11 you know or, or one two three excuse me so a lot of people think probably more one o'clock really high would you say right yeah what what happens when you're too high with your arm slot yeah so what happens is now you start overly activating your trap muscles and, and so but yeah so uh i try to tell the kids we almost want to hide that ball behind our head um you know if you get that arm up way too high especially even before we release the ball, the, the batter is going to see that ball a full 60 feet, six inches, right? We're trying to hide and disguise that ball as best as we can. So by the time they pick up the baseball, they're only seeing it from maybe 54 feet or 50 feet. You know, we, we, we want to shrink the distance that they can actually see the ball. Yeah. So I, I just, I kind of assume that that's, you know, one of the things that the over the top part and, and kids are, understanding that. I, I didn't understand that either like you just think uh, I, I remember even as a shortstop I tried to throw over the top and I know like just seeing pictures and with knowing my arm slot was always off I was like I know my head was here because I was trying to throw it hard and I was probably one o'clock and if I just get my head straight it's gonna drop it down and get more into a, a more athletic probably repeatable and not hurt you know, and, and, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, at the end of the day, you'll never receive that phone call either from the varsity coach or maybe a college coach or hell, maybe even a major league team. You won't receive that phone call if you're always hurt. So for, for me and Dave, our, our whole thing is health, right? You're one of the biggest pieces of advice I'd ever received 
<clears throat> and I, everything I learned was basically with Houston, um, was as a pitcher, your greatest ability is your availability. You could be the greatest pitcher of the world, but if you're always hurt, you'll never play. You know, so it's teach these kids how to be healthy, you know, and then because I was more of a visual learner. So but, but yeah, no, I always try to show them pictures and videos uh, of the greats, um, whether it's DeGrom, maybe it's Josh Hader, maybe Raldis Chapman, maybe Nolan Ryan, Pedro Martinez, you know, some of the fastest throwers this planet's ever seen. Some of the people who have the most strikeouts this planet's ever seen. Uh, Edwin Diaz, so, you know, someone who has arguably the most swing and miss stuff in baseball history, right? And it's showing these guys at certain points in your delivery, everyone looks the same, you know, and and showing them, hey, your arm goes out and not up. Yeah, and explain that a little bit more. So you're saying your hand gets behind you and your elbow extends kind of to get your hand and your elbow away from your body. Is that, is that right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, and it's a very interesting thing explaining to kids that we lead with the elbow. Um, Cause everyone's always taught, Hey, don't let your elbow go first, right? You don't want to push the ball. Um, but it's kind of, and this is where you have to really explain things again, like, over the top what does that mean just put your fingers over the top of the ball um when i tell kids we lead with our elbow um that's just that's how the body organizes itself itself right you don't get any layback right my arm could never lay back if i didn't have my elbow first okay. right so a lot of times kids think oh i don't want to have my elbow first so they end up pushing the ball this way instead of allowing that elbow to come first kind of turn that corner and now the arm extends interesting yeah yeah i don't know how that, that looks i just did it lefty so it might look pretty silly yeah dude that's um, good you are you can do it right yeah. right, right hand <laughs> yeah but i mean you want that elbow to come forward right and now we extend our hand on top um yeah. but again it's it's having to show these kids because a lot of times um they're told hey don't lead with your elbow don't do that and everyone knows the only way you throw a curveball is you have to have that elbow forward. Um, you know, so it's, again, it's, there's a lot of things that are um, just not explained well enough. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I find myself doing a lot. A lot of the work is just kind of explaining what certain things mean. Um, Cause there's just a lot of negative uh, connotations with certain phrases, um, statements, sentences, especially in baseball. Um, throw strikes. Duh. I'm a pitcher. That's my job. I know throw strikes. You know, and that comes off very negative to a kid. Um, you know, and as a kid, you hear something like that. More times than not, you result to you you result um to only two ways to getting around it is someone tells you throw strikes, you're either gonna slow your body down and push it, right? Which as a hitter, you're like, thank God he's pushing it. Now, now I can really tee off. Mm-hmm. Um, or as a young kid, right, the other end of that is, oh, throw strikes? Okay. Now I get real angry. I get real tight. I get real tense. Um, both things are terrible results. Right? Well, you're probably giving up a bomb because you babied the pitch and he threw it over the plate. Um, the other one, you probably threw it to the backstop because you're so 
angry at the coach for telling you, hey, throw strikes, throw strikes. I, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, that, you know, it's, it's, yeah, and like on, on that note, like that's where training yourself to know like that would be an outside source of a coach like saying something to you and then allowing that information to kind of seep into you, if you will, and then you react to it. Like you're reacting by the thought of what he said, right? And now it's making you kind of feel mad. And my anger is going to turn into me, okay, my action with this now, I'm going to chuck it as hard as I can. I don't care where it goes because I'm just trying to let out my anger rather than learning how to control, right, what somebody says in this regard, your pitching coach. Like we learn how to control our thought and really our emotion behind what the guy is saying so we can stay in control of, your, of ourself on the mound. Absolutely, man. And, and especially in baseball, it's, it's so tough, right? Because obviously hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in any sport. Um, but conversely, you miss your release point by one quarter of an inch. You're missing your location by no, no less than two feet. Um, so it's, it's, you know, pitching is very tough in that aspect as well. Um, and that's why we always try to give constructive criticism in, in a positive way. Um, yeah. Just because it's, it's, again, it's, it's such a tough sport. It's a game of inches. Hitting's a game of failure. Um, so it's, it's, it's giving them the positive reinforcement to where they don't mentally beat themselves up and say, Hey man, I'm, I'm done with this game. I hate this game. This game's <laughs> driving me so mad. I don't even want to play it. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we're baseball guys. We love the game. The last thing I want is someone to say, screw this game. I don't want it. So with your lessons that you do, cause you, you were doing some individual lessons and then you got into group training, um, some, what advice would you give? Cause anytime a person or coach does some lessons, you know, you have, um, parents involved, right. They're paying you at, at, to help their kid, you know, train them mechanically, mentally, all these things. Right. Um, and some coaches are like, I don't want the parent near my, my lesson. Right. I need to be focused with him. Cause as you're in the way and, your kid is worried more about what you're thinking of him while he's hitting or while he's pitching. Um, and it can certainly go both ways. You've done a pitching class with you and coach Dave, where you have, you, you want parents like literally sitting there watching what's happening and what's going on. So explain that philosophy for us. Yeah. So again, right. It's, it's explaining the terminology and explaining um, the mechanics the proper way. Um, I will see a kid for one hour a week. Uh, you know, the week is 168 hours. I get one hour of that time. Um, so I tell every parent, hey, I want you as close as you can. You need to be digesting this information. So when little Billy goes to the game and I'm not able to watch, you can tell him, hey, keep your head straight or hey, your, your direction, you're getting a little bit offline, mm -hmm. you know, because um, a parent at the end of the day, they're going to be with the kid way more than a coach would be. Um, so I want them to know all the information that's being said. Um, additionally, I give, I give whether it's a private client and the group classes, each kid gets homework. 
um, mm -hmm. to work on. Um, and and it's only maybe, 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 maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Usually I say two to five minutes. Um, but if they really need to work on something, it, it'll be 10 minutes. Um, so I want these parents to be aware of that as well. And I hold parents accountable um, just as much as the kids. Um, because just like in any facet of life, if you're given homework and you don't do it, you're going to fail. I always tell these kids, look, I need you to do your homework for baseball. It's only a couple minutes. Your mom and dad always ask you to do your homework for English. This is no different. Um, so I always try to make it applicable to real life things, right? Because at the end of the day, and it's funny, I was, I was talking about the other day uh, with this dad in the cage, 240 kids will make their major league debut next year, assuming half are, are in the u.s that means 120 people out of 8 billion will make their major league debut right, right? Exactly. do i want every kid to make it to the major leagues absolutely right that means you're the best of the best of the best that is that is so cool but i also want them to keep it realistic right that doesn't mean you get to goof off but you still have to do your homework mm -hmm. right no different than if you're in science class and science is tough that doesn't mean you're just going to quit. You still need to do all your homework. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. And and so that's what I found interesting, right? When because I think I think pitching is definitely a little bit different from hitting, right? Where I yeah. personally have noticed when I do my hitting lessons, right? If I'm trying to say something to the player, um, I'm I'm having more of a conversation, right, with the player, right. trying to teach them and show them something. And a lot of times, you know, I, I'm a very basic coach in that regard, like, hey, let's work on this. But then when you have a father, even a mom that's right there as well, like kind of chirping at the player, doing the same thing, that yeah. there's distraction there. So I think, I think the advice would be like, if you're a parent, like you should be there to learn as well. Right. And you, you're literally paying a coach to teach your son or your daughter what the information they know and they have some eyes to see to train the player. Right. So allow that to happen. You should be um, as a parent willing to learn, willing to listen. Right. And, right. and soak up that information as well. We don't really need your input from a coach's standpoint. Otherwise, why are you paying the coach to coach your kid? Right. Right. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny because because uh, we had something like that in one of our classes. Uh, one of the parents kept chirping the kid and, and we say, hey, parent, look, we're, we're the coaches. We're asking for X, Y and Z. We don't need your input. Right. We invite you in. But at the same time, we don't want to you know, we can kick you out. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Like, there, there's some boundaries there. Right? right. Yeah. And I think most coaches in a way don't necessarily set those boundaries until it, like they have to be set, you know, cause you kind of expect like, Hey, right. let me coach your kid. Um, so that's great, man. Right. I, if you're in the Las Vegas area, um, I highly recommend. Now, are you still doing a pitching class now? Like what, what's your, how does someone get a chance to work with you here in Vegas? Yeah. So uh, they, they can reach out um, online or, or shoot, shoot me a message at my phone number. Um, but yeah, we just finished up our, um, 10 week off season program. 
uh, we are starting our new um, end season because a lot of kids, um, they have little league tryouts coming up, club ball, high school, um, and then, you know, you got spring training. But no, we have our 10-week uh, spring um, in-season curriculum going on right now. And actually, we just finished up our 10-week uh, off-season. Now we're doing our spring training or our in-season spring throwing program uh, starting this uh, this upcoming week, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays are at uh, Z-Cages uh, out in Henderson from 6 to 7. And then Thursdays, we are at bases loaded on the west side um, from 5.30 to 6.30. Um, and, and, and this curriculum is designed to teach these kids, right now that they've learned how, how to move efficiently and how to throw hard and, and what helps us throw hard. Now it's, hey, this is season time. Now we're going to really go over sequencing. We're going to go over off-speed pitches. We're going to learn how to attack and get hitters out with certain formulas. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I was able to see one of your classes um, and just the improvement in, did you, is a 10 weeks class, correct? Yes. Yeah, I, mean, yeah I, I remember watching some of the kids when they first started with you first week and then like I glanced and kind of watched about week five or six and just the fact that they were, how much better they were moving, right? They were more fluid in their movement and their actions and the like, I remember the first first time they're um, very low confidence. They have no idea what they're doing. They're throwing the ball all over the place. And then that sixth week, I think it was like a new player, right? And they're smiling. They're having fun. I'm talking to the parents, and they're they're smiling. They're having fun, right? And they're they're like, yeah, this is you know, they're getting their money's worth, if you will. And you could just see it, it, it kind of in their face, in their eyes, like, this is it, man. This is really cool. So kudos to you. Yeah, well, it's because it's like you said, the confidence thing, right? It's is you want to build these kids up to give them confidence. You know, you don't want to just tear them down. You know, some of these kids are eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. You don't want to tear them down and say, hey, you stink. So it's, you know, explain them the correct terminology and then, you know, build confidence. Absolutely. Well, awesome. So I, we won't give out your phone number here, but if it, someone wants to reach you, say on Instagram, where can they where can they reach you on social media to reach you? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I somehow got my uh, my my page hacked, um, but they can reach me. At, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, they don't have any support staff. So, yeah, that page is completely gone now, unfortunately. Um, but they can reach out to us online at uh, lasvegaspitchingperformance.com. Lasvegaspitchingperformance.com. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they want, they, they can um, search up uh, Danny Reynolds. Um, uh, I believe Danny Reynolds pitching on Facebook. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, guys, I highly recommend it. If you're in Vegas, do it. And don't be afraid. I would, you know, I think people are afraid to do group training. And it's, it's really interesting when you get into the group training parts of things where um, the competition is there, you, you start to kind of really, I, the focus that I saw um, in your classes was much better than 30 minutes, you know, one hour pitching lesson. I'm sure you're like, that only makes sense. Maybe the first time um, you're kind of getting the lingo down and the movements and you're really slowing it and breaking it down. 
Um, but when you get into like small groups, right, and groups of three, four, five, roughly, um, and you and it was a very fast paced moving class, right? So it keeps them moving, um, and that's what I that's what I noticed, right? It, it's competitive, and they're learning something, um, and it, and it was a game like atmosphere. Absolutely. And it's always funny, too, because parents always think, oh, it's a group thing. I'm not going to get my money's worth and X, Y and Z. Um, and like I told you, I'm a I'm a visual guy. So I'll show them of when I used to train um, when I first found my pitching coach. It was about 15 of us. I mean, we all don't go at the same time. There's some breaks in between, um, but there'd be 10 to 15 guys in our pitching guys backyard. And I was the only minor leaguer. So I tell these guys, look, this is what a lot of World Series champions, this is what a lot of all-star pitchers do, right? People train in groups just because you can bounce ideas off of each other, right? Hey, that's a good pitch. How do you hold it? Oh, nice cutter. I've never thrown that. How do you hold it? Sweet yeah. too soon. But, you know, and then they start bouncing ideas off that. Um, and then better, better than being able to bounce off ideas is then these kids become friends. Yeah. Right. So whether baseball yeah. works out or not, you, you made a friend, you know what I mean? And, you know, and at the, at the end of the day, it's positively impact these kids in any way, shape or form, whether it's baseball, friendship, making sure that they do homework, whether it's in school or baseball school, <clears throat> you know, it's, you want to have a positive impact on someone's life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're killing it, dude. You've you done very well here. And, and there's, you know, anytime someone asks about pitching coaches in the Vegas area, you're definitely uh, in that category of, you know, someone I would recommend. Uh, there's a few others that are in that boat too. And um, number one, a good dude, very knowledgeable. And then you've added a guy, Dave Brown, um, you know, that has a lot of experience being up in Northern California, um, is showing you some of the things that he's learned from uh, other professionals as well. So if you guys can get out and do a class with Danny, highly recommend it. But Danny, appreciate you coming on board, dude. Um, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure working with you. Like we had so many laughs over the last few months together. And like I said, guys, get out and reach out to Danny Reynolds and we will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Danny. As you see, Danny's very knowledgeable. Apologize. We had a lot of, uh, have issues there with his video. The internet connection was very unstable there. Uh, but want to let you make sure you guys are aware that I am now doing the Mental Edge Life Coaching, uh, really live weekly calls every Monday night at 7 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The idea behind this is getting players, athletes, both in high school and the college area to come onto a call and they bring something to the table, meaning they want to get coached on something. I've been going through life coach school the last six months and really trying to dive into helping players and athletes with this particular model on really diving into what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their actions and results are, and kind of giving them a, a, an idea of how their thoughts are creating their results. And it's something I certainly wish I knew uh, as a young teenager in pro ball, even as an adult. It's really fascinating what I learned as an adult. Uh, being at the age I'm at now really would have been cool to apply these type of things in my life. So very cheap membership in regards to it's affordable. It's $25 a month currently. 
So come on board, visit mentaledgetrainingcoach.com. Have your athlete, I don't care, uh, male, female, whatever the case may be, any sport, they bring something to the call. I will do my best to coach them. If we have a lot of people on the call, um, we'll try to get as much call as far as the coaching side goes into that hour and a half. And once that continues to grow, I'll start to add um, possibly more time slots and more opportunities to get coached. So thank you. And we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.